John Briggs Consultancy, leading Australia's reconciliation and Indigenous engagement journey. As a leading specialist in his field of training, consulting and facilitation, John has an exceptional talent for bringing each participant, organisation and audience along on a journey of discovery. He is a master of building cultural safety with any group. John works with audiences of all levels and backgrounds, from senior executives to students and educators. He covers political, legislative and economic pillars to help participants gain a better understanding of Indigenous governance in a holistic framework. John Briggs Consultancy is the exclusive provider and subject matter expert around Indigenous engagement for Coles nationally and he's delivered more than 180 presentations for them since 2011. If you want to find out more about John Briggs Consultancy, please go to www.johnbriggs.net.au or call John Direct on 0417 003 565. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now? What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. First up, Apologies if you're wondering why this episode features Maria Spees from Holland IQ and not Simon Finn from Independent Higher Education Australia. Simon and I had a great chat, but we also had some technical difficulties which I couldn't resolve. So we've postponed our discussion for a later date when we can sit down face to face and in the meantime, Simon's obviously flat out supporting his members as they deal with the impact of COVID-19 and as he engages with government on their behalf. And it's COVID-19 and its impact on the sector that I'm wanting to discuss today. And we're trying something a little bit different in this episode. Rather than me interviewing Maria, I'm instead pleased that she's given me permission to share the audio with you of her presentation to last week's Reinventing Vet for the Digital Age. I asked her to do so because in that presentation, she shared the results of a very recent survey of 700 global leaders in education and training on the current impact of COVID-19 on their organisations and how they see the future outlook. So there's real time data on how this virus is impacting different education institutions around the world, as well as great insights into broader trends in the education and the edtech sector. Despite the fact that most of the conference was focused on the vet sector and how it goes digital, how timely, uh, Maria's presentation is much broader than that and she focuses uh, particularly on the uh, post-school education uh, and training sectors, as well as both formal and, uh, and informal um, education offerings. So don't tune out if higher education is your thing, there's something in this for you. There's also a link in the episode notes for, for this podcast episode to Maria's conference presentation, which is available on my website. Just go to clairefield.com.au slash news 
and you'll find it there. And in the news section, you'll also find my reflections on the role that the tertiary education sector can and must play in Australia in helping the government deal with the impact of the COVID-19 virus and how within the sector we can ensure high quality education is still continuing even as all institutions undertake a massive shift to fully online delivery. Enough from me, here's Maria. Thank you, Claire. That's a great introduction um, to, to frame the day. Um, let me just progress my slides. I hope everyone can hear me, number one, and number two, they can see these slides going forward. Um, my, my, I guess my role today is, is a bit more framing in a global context. So as Claire said, Holland IQ is a, a market intelligence firm. We have lots and lots of data on um, education, innovation, uh, new, new models, and also investment, where the money's going. And that actually makes a difference. Um, and so there's three sort of questions that I'll be addressing today in the sort of, I think, I think I'm going to have something like a 15 minute presentation and then time for questions. So I'm going to race through the, the presentation so we can have some interaction. Um, but the slides are available inside the handout section of the, of the, um, uh, of the presentation. I can hear a little bit of feedback coming, not feedback, but some, something coming through. Um, it may, may be useful for people to mute their mic and so we don't get that background noise if that's okay. And so um, what is shaping tomorrow's education and training landscape is number one. That's the first question. How is this impacting learning innovation? What's happening around the world? And what are some of the key thematic and, and examples? So let me go through those. I would normally, in, the, in terms of the first question, and this is what I had prepped, I would normally talk about globalisation and growth population changes, future of work, advancements in technology. These are the, actually the macro factors of impacting education and the way we deliver. But due to the, um, the situation we were right now in the world, I've yesterday completely pivoted on um, going into detail on each of these things. And I'm going to talk about COVID-19. And so what uh, we did, we have a, um, a global panel of experts. In fact, last week we surveyed um, our um, global panel, panel of experts around the world about the impact they see of COVID-19 for their organisation. These are all education institutions or edtech providers or other service providers or investors in the education market. And so we wanted to know what they thought of the impact of COVID-19 on their organisation. And so we can see here on the left-hand side, short-term impact and long-term impact. Just have a quick look at the you know, red is higher impact and, and blue is no impact at all or substantially better and substantially worse in terms of impact. And so you can see here that institutions, that is K-12 schools, universities, vet providers, et cetera, in that broad um, area, have um, think for sure that they are going to be most negatively impacted by COVID in the short term. And that's moderating to some extent in the long term over here. I don't know whether you can see my, can you see my mouse? Can anyone see the mouse? No, okay. On the right-hand side there, you can see the institution's um, responses. So 50% of institutions around, these are 700 um, responses from around the world, indicate that they feel that their institution will be worse off in the long term um, as a result of COVID-19. 
EdTech, very different story. These are providers of technology to institutions and others. Um, that They feel there's many of them, the blue there is, they're going to be substantially better. And this is what we're, we're hearing on the ground as well um, and so on. So there is a whole website on this. The URL is at the bottom. You can, you can look through that yourself and see the stats. But um, definitely institutions are feeling negatively impacted immediately, but less still 50% think they will be negatively impacted in the long term. Let's have a look at that um, by geography. Um, Oceania, which is essentially Australia, New Zealand and, and so on, um, but the responses are mostly Australia. Um, they, Australia has the highest level of negative potential impact in the short term. This is no doubt due to um, the immediate and direct impact um, and the importance of international education, in particular from the Asian region for universities and others. Um, but that is um, a, a pretty massive impact compared with other parts of the world, although um, you know, everyone is feeling um, feeling that impact immediately. And then that moderates in the long term. But still, Oceana feels like they're going to be more impacted in the long term compared with other geographies. Um, okay, so then I just sort of tweak that around the type of in, the type of respondent. Um, you know, you can see lifelong learning, corporate training, higher ed, um, there's a high level of um, you know, sort of feeling that things are disrupting soon. That very dark red bar is um, we expect disruption in our part of the sector within the next 24 months. Now, of course, people are in the middle of a bit of an emergency right now, so they may feel that more. Um, but when we look at that compared with um, our surveys, this is a longitudinal, so our surveys from six months ago and 12 months ago, it is much more um, people are feeling um, that definitely there's going to be disruption fairly soon um, and to a greater extent. In vocational, what's interesting here is that the highest proportion of um, respondents who don't think there will ever be disruption in their sector is in the vocational area. I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I, I don't know that that's the case, but you know, I think it's interesting that there, there's a there's a high there's a higher level of confidence um, that the vocational sector, if you want to call it that, will remain as it is generally. Um, on the um, growth strategy, we asked people about what's your top growth strategy, and there were a number of different categories. And um, you know, again, new technologies has bumped up from the last couple of surveys that's the last 18 months the you know 10 15% around 14 to 15% have said technology is our top growth strategy and now it's at basically 25%. And so people are like you talked about Claire are definitely thinking okay we've got to take this seriously. Um, this actually may be the way that we grow compared with what we thought in the past. Again um, vocational K12 to a lesser extent but voc voc respondents from vocational area did um, um, sort of highlight there that operational improvement is the way that they are considering growth. Um, that may speak to the, in, um, the current structure of the industry that really needs to um, sort of get its own, globally get its house in order before you can start growing in other ways. But people are thinking um, more in the vocational area that um, operational improvement is a way that they will fuel their growth. Uh, and I think that's also an interesting sort of set of responses. As I said, go to the website. There's lots of more information there. Um, let me just go through to the next slide. Okay. 
I can't move the slides. Technical glitch number one, the slide won't move forward. <laughs> I wonder if someone can help me with that. Um, oh, here we go, okay. Hmm. I'm having trouble with the slide navigator here. Ah! Let me pull that on. I don't know whether it's bandwidth or... Which, uh, Maria, it's Kerry here. Which slide oh. would you like to be on now? Just the next one. Which is the green, number eight. The green, that should be coming through now. Is that is slide eight coming through for people? Oh, it's got it's there for me too. Okay, cool. Yep. All right. So, um, one of the things that um, the, the second question that I'll be sort of addressing today, oh, this is, okay, is how is this impacting education and training? My my slide is flashing, but it may become my computer. Okay. So one of the things is education and training is a very, very big sector globally. Um, we're talking by 2030, a $10 trillion market, if you want to think of education as a market, and many people do. Um, and so, um, you know, this is not just government funding. Um, typically the money, you know, the market sizing of, of education is, 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 is um, considered by government funding, but actually parents, um, individuals, corporates, um, spending on um, education is massive. It's a $10 trillion market. You can see how it's split there. K-12 is around 50%. Post-secondary, that's formal post-secondary, vocational, higher ed and so on, is probably around 30% corporate training, you know, anything that's not formal essentially after school. Um, so, uh you know, there in the blue and then um, the pre-K. You can see from 2018 to 2025, we see some changes here and this continues. This is a pattern that's continuing, which is both good for vocational and bad for vocational training. Um, firstly, pre-K is growing around the world. That's, you know, I think that's awesome. Um, but what we're seeing here from 2018 to 20, to 25 and that trend is continuing to 30 is that the broadly defined corporate training spend or market size is growing and the post-secondary market size is shrinking. And what's happening here is that there is a swapping of um, uh, spending in formal, uh, from formal to informal or from accredited to unaccredited. We're definitely seeing that trend. Um, and so this is potentially great news and also potentially not great news depending on who you are in the market. So if you consider yourself, you know, in the box of formal, um, accredited government accredited training, which is usually but not always, um, you know, in a in a bulk, you know, whether it's be a qualification or a degree, then we're seeing some changes to that part of the market, and we're also seeing providers move um, to, to more flexible options. There, um, there's a lot of money that goes into education. Uh, this is just venture capital. You can see. China, the you know Claire mentioned before the um, the China investment in ed tech broadly defined or new models is growing, um, although shrinking now, and it's it's just come off a little bit. But one one of the things to ask is where is this money going? And if you haven't seen this before, this is our a sort of it's 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 generally a it's it's pretty much a value chain um, uh, diagram which shows we've cut the education innovation sort of market into 50 clusters of innovation and then we track um, who's doing what in each of those areas. Um, and so on the right-hand side to the blue area, which is workforce and talent and skills and jobs, this is where the money is going. And where money goes means that somebody has convinced 
an investor that this is what's growing and we're already seeing that. And so the growth area, and this gels with our, the market sizing thing I was just talking about, workforce upskilling, um, talent acquisition, internships, apprenticeships, these areas, gigs, performance management, these areas are growing in terms of investment, but also the, 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 the boundary between learning and working and upskilling, formal, informal, ad hoc, or whatever, that those boundaries are, are sort of collapsing. Um, so what are we, what are the sort of some of thematics and themes um, and um, examples we're seeing here? Three key themes to think about. We are seeing much integration amongst disaggregation. Um, we're seeing an integration of physical and digital. This is going to be the future. It's not physical with a digital add-on. It's not digital with a physical add-on. This is a true blending at the design stage. This is new for formal incumbents, if you want to call them that. Um, but th this is a trend moving forward. Um, we're seeing integration between learning and content and experience. So in the old days, and this is why publishers are having so much trouble, it's a content play. Here's some content. I'll give it to you and then you, another person or another institution, um, use that content in learning. But actually what we're seeing now, content and learning experience are being integrated because it's adaptive and it moves and the content changes depending on who you are. And so this is um, greatly, you know, this could have huge impact, of course, on learning experiences and outcomes, but also huge impact on uh, the structure of the industry where there are deliverers and there are content providers and those two things are separate. And there are technology um, houses or institutions or organisations who provide um, an empty vessel like an LMS in which this stuff can happen. Um, so those things are all being integrated. And, of course, learning and working and living, those things are all being integrated as well. This is nothing new to you. We're also seeing integration along the a technology stack. Um, again, um, I won't go into detail, but these are sort of the integration um, uh, uh, thematics we're seeing. The other thing that's um, I think great for vocational because this is the vocational space is back solving to education. It's not about um, a supply led. Um, uh, it's not about supply led anymore. It's around um, back solving to education. Not this is what I have to offer, and I think it's good for the you know for for I think there's a market for this, and let's offer it. It's more about what do you need as an organisation? What do you need as an industry? What do you need as an individual? And I'm going to back solve that from you back into um, uh, assessment and back into um, uh, education. So what job do you need? What skills do you need? And therefore, what education do you need rather than the other way around? So it's, it's, it's back solving. Um, and the third one, let me just... Ah, okay, I've just lost... Sorry, I'm not a very good presenter here. I've just lost my slide deck. <laughs> there we go, thanks. Um, okay, the third one is innovation from the edge, what we're seeing, or innovation from outside. Um, the big model changes and technology changes or platform changes will are not, we're, we're not really going to see that from within the industry. We're seeing it being imported from other industries. Emerging markets and what they're doing there are being imported back into developed markets. Things that are happening in the not accredited lifelong learning space, models, um, you know, technologies and so on are being imported back into the accredited space and things that are happening in other industries, um, you know, in the consumer space, for example, or gaming are being imported back into education. And so what we need to, to look at is what's happening in other industries and how could that be modified 
for education. It's already happening. Um, just some examples here. Um, Coursera for Campus, if you don't know about it, have a look. And so this is where... Maria, I am going to have to nudge you along. Sorry. Oh, okay, I'm nearly finished. Coursera for, okay, Campus, cool. Coursera, Coursera for Campus means that um, universities are the content um, or the, 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 the distribution, that's it. So any university can use the Coursera platform to deliver their content to any other university. <laughs> so this is changing the nature of what the platform is. The university is not necessarily the platform anymore. Um, White Hat is completely reinventing apprenticeships. It's a wonderful model out of the UK, um, just got a bunch of funding. They're starting with industry um, jobs um, in um, apprenticeship um, areas that are not, 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 not usual. It's not plumbing and, and so on. It's technology, it's marketing, and it, it, it so on. And this is building on the, the um, apprenticeship levy um, that, that all um, organisations over £3 million revenue have to pay and they can use that money they pay, that 3%, for an apprentice or if they don't get an apprentice, they have to just pay it as a tax. Um, and their competitor can use it for apprentice. So the apprenticeship, um, the definition of apprenticeship is changing and, and government funding is, is, is pulling that on. Guild is another one. I'll just skip over that. But education is a benefit. Um, new models around employers going straight to employers. It's all lots and lots of technology, not necessarily online, but a bit of blended. I'm going to stop there um, and open for questions. Okay, thank you, Maria. So the first question was from Sean. Tell us why you think the Middle East is so positive in terms of, I think that was around the, the f looking to the, to the future. Can you talk to that for a bit? So um, I think in the Middle East, um, the, uh, I can't recall the, demographic, the dem demographics of the respondents from the Middle East, um, but the, the Middle East has got um, a very, Firstly, a, a significant population of young people um, and they are moving, they're leapfrogging a little bit in terms of technology. Um, so they're going from something very traditional and now with government support, they can leapfrog a lot of these sort of, um, you know, traditional systems. And I think that's why they're seeing, um, they're, they're so positive about the future. It's a big market um, and they're able to jump across um, some of the sort of traditional sort of ways of building an education market. Thank you. And I can see Robert's quite hungry to ask a question, but I'm going to go uh, to the next one was from Tony. Um, tell us, does back solving start at the student or the emerging markets? It's so, it depends. Um, back solving often starts with um where it depends so back solving would start with um employers often because the skills gap is so huge and difficult what skills do you need when do you need them what skills have you already got in your organization where's the gap and what do we need to j just um, build the gap so there's lots of solutions out there that are like um you know uh sort of Google, what the, you know, one, one calls itself Google Maps for education. So you're at point A, you need to get to point B. What route do you need to take? And it's, it's sort of, it's a skills gap analysis um, and then um, a, a sort of platform to find 
providers or solutions to fill those gaps and then directly 100% directly linked to work, uh, workforce needs organizations needs um, but um, at in terms of uh, in terms of um, developing countries um, a lot of the a lot of the massive innovation system-wide innovation that's happening there is due to still um, uh, sort of government and non-government organisation funding. Okay. Um, they're not building infrastructure like we've got. They're just jumping straight over the top of it to new models. They've got no choice, really. Um, now, Robert, did I see you looking like you had a question? Because if you do, very quickly, because I'm already, here's me, the time Nazi, and we're already running a little over time. But if there is a question, this is supposed to be a conversation. So if you have one, please go. No, I just unmuted my mic to talk to you, but um, I think I'm going to be speaking with Sean soon. And he's you certainly are. You know, I'm mean, talking about too, so I'll wait till I talk yeah. to you. Okay, very good. Well, Maria, you have, as always, uh, given us an enormous amount to, to think about. Um, if people aren't familiar with all of the variety of work that Holland IQ does, um, definitely get on, have a look at their website. There's quite a lot of content in their newsletters that uh, that they push out for, for free. Um, and they've got a range of clients right across the world using this information to plan and strategize and think about uh, the education and training sector. Thank you for taking the time that you did with us today. Um, it's always a pleasure to, to hear from you and, and particularly get the, the latest insights on where people around the globe are being impacted in education uh, with COVID-19 and, and how they see the future. So thank you. Uh, Thanks, join me all in a, a virtual thank you. Uh, <laughs> I can do it a proper one um, uh, to Maria. at the end of another episode. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, then do get in touch. You'll find me on Twitter at Cfield and Associates. I'm on LinkedIn and you can also find Clearfield and Associates on Facebook. Lastly, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And thank you again for joining me for this episode of What Now? What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector.